Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I don't know why it took an interest in you, but I'd be careful. It's never helped anyone before. My name is UK Decker. Fallout Equestria was written by KCAT, 
The opening piece of music was the main theme from the Fallout Equestria animated series by The Rocking Fellow. My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, is owned by Hasbro. Fallout, a post-nuclear role-playing game, is owned by Bethesda. This is a fan work using both of these as inspiration. This work is not for profit. Anti-up. The Fall. Perspective. Stupid! A blast of lightning fired past me, shattering an old clock at the back of the interview office I was cowering in. The Wasteland Survival Guide was full of all sorts of helpful tips. Scavenging guides, a whole chapter on mines, and more. And then there were the not-so-helpful ones, to having read the chapter on Making pre-war earth pony technology work for you. My first thought when it came across the ruins of Ironshod firearms was to take a peek inside and see if there was any technology that I could make work for me. Instead, I got myself trapped in a maze full of ponicidal robots and automated turrets, fleeing until I had managed to back myself into a corner here in the Offix box high above the factory floor. Almost out of ammo. If I hadn't found that medical box in the employee bathroom, I would have died of trying to get across the second floor. How could I have possibly been so stupid? Below, three of those robots were rolling about, looking for me. They were tracked things, built to somewhat resemble ponies, with clear domed heads that housed real brains. I refused to think that the ponies who built them might have used other ponies' brains in the construction. The thought was just too horrible. Even doing that to an animal's brain was awful, and clearly 200 years of continuous operation had done nothing for their sanity. Come on out, we only want to kill you for trespassing. Case in point. The fact that the voice sounded like a young filly, despite being clearly artificial, made them that much more freakier. The railing on the catwalks leading up to this office were too narrow for the brain bots to get up here. A much deeper, authoritative voice boomed across the room. Surrender, in the name of the Ministry of Technology, Zebra Scum. I cringed behind a line of metal filing cabinets as the room filled with a rush of flame. Unfortunately, the same could not be said for the other type of guard robot I'd crossed paths with in here. The multi-limbed things looked like giant metal spiders. Many of its armed seems to end in weapons, including a buzzsaw and flamethrower. And worse, the damn things could fly! I slipped both of my grenades out of my saddlebags and waited until the flames died away. The metal cabinets were beginning to get unpleasantly warm against my back, and the heat in the air seared my lungs. The second the flamethrower cut off, I turned my head round the corner and levitated them both up right into the metal monster, pulling out the stems upon the way. The moment it saw me, the robot raised a pulsing green weapon that looked like a unicorn's horn. Eldritch fire erupted from it shooting past me close enough to singe my cheek. The blast struck an old fan sitting upon the desk behind me. It glowed for a moment, and then melted. I ducked back as I dropped the grenades. <laughs> the explosion rocked the office. I heard a fearsome twang as part of the catwalk outside gave. Looking back, the robot was in a non-functional heap. The walkway outside was still mostly intact, but sagging badly. I wasn't sure it could hold my weight. Stripping what I could from the fallen spider bot, I considered my options. I couldn't stay up in here forever. 
If I moved very fast, I could run the walkway without the sprain bots below getting me. The weaponry did not seem the most accurate, but the first few yards of the catwalk had partially torn free and sagged alarmingly. The more I looked at it, the less I wanted to put a hoof on it. I'd never tried levitating myself before. In theory, it should work, but I'd never seen a pony do it. Focusing, I tried. I could feel the glow of my horn stretch out to envelop my entire body. Brighter it glowed as I tried to lift myself. I was shining like a dozen lanterns when I felt my body lift, just slightly from the ground. I was sweating. This was as far as I could go, but I was doing it. Now one step forward. And another. And another. I was halfway across when the brain bolt started firing lightning in my general direction. One of the bolts struck the catwalk, arcing along it. I felt very lucky I wasn't actually touching it, but I was also almost spent. Ahead of me, the catwalk stopped right before the huge windows that let twice-filtered sunlight, once by the clouds and once by the dirty glass itself, upon the factory floor, supplementing the light from the heavy fixtures hanging above. The catwalk shot off in two directions, running parallel to the wall. One was the direction I'd come from, the other led to a door which had been locked. Only that door didn't have a lock to pick. Instead, it could only be opened by a command issued from a terminal. Another shot of lightning missed me cleanly, shooting through one of the shattered windows of the observation office and frying the terminal I had just used, not five minutes ago, to unlock said door. It was a lot of metal catwalk, and the damn bots beneath me shot lightning. I grunted with the effort that kept me aloft, feeling my vision darken at the edges. I had to stop, or I'd pass out, and that would be the end of me. Releasing the magic, I dropped onto the catwalk. It wavered, but held. I let go of a breath I didn't realise I was holding, and started to gallop. Run, we want to be your friend! More blasts. I tensed, expecting to feel paralysing electricity rip up my body, starting at my hooves. Instead... I heard a crash and a loud pop and a twang from somewhere above. Looking up as I ran, I saw that one of the bolts had hit the hanging lamp above, causing its softly buzzing light to explode. And that, freakishly, was the last straw. It snapped loose from the badly aged cracked ceiling above and swung down, crashing into the catwalk behind me. The whole walkway shook, and then the section behind me tore away with the rending scream of abused metal. Oh, fuck me with Celestia's forehooves. I'll admit, my repertoire of colourful descriptions had grown more profane from my experience with the raiders, but as I galloped down the walkways at heart-tearing speed, trying to keep ahead of the sections of catwalk began to fall down onto the factory floor like a thunderous, lethal game of dogs. I felt the sentiment entirely appropriate. I was almost at the door when the metal walkway dropped from under me. I threw myself forward carried only on by momentum, and caught the final section with only my forelegs. I hung there, my hind hooves dangling several stories over an ancient rifle assembly line that had been crushed by the fallen catwalk. I struggled, trying to inch myself up. I used my magic to try and tug on my saddlebags and drag myself forward. My heart was pounding. I fought to keep the visions of falling from dominating my imagination tried not to think of my back breaking as I landed upon the conveyor belt below. 
At least the damn brainbots weren't shooting at me anymore, having scurried for cover. It seemed to take forever, but inch by inch, I pulled myself onto that final section of catwalk. It wobbled threateningly beneath me, sticking out from the wall like a diving board, held in place by bolts that wiggled in wear-rinders holes. Cautiously, I got my hooves under me and stepped lightly towards the door. A blast of lightning hit the catwalk, shooting up my legs and sending me into painful convulsions. I collapsed, shaking upon the walkway, my mane and tail hairs standing on end. The walkway responded with a metallic cry and tilted several inches, threatening to dump me into the gulf below. I struggled shakily to my feet. Another blast shot up almost from directly beneath me, missing the walkway by less than a foot and striking the ceiling above. Bits of singed plaster rained down. I gave the door a push and was vastly relieved when it swung open. Then the catwalk gave further. I lurched, wrapping my forelegs around the doorframe to keep from sliding down into the nice, quite steep metal platform. A third electrical blast ripped through the air, striking another strip of industrial lightning, whose light also exploded, making it swing perilously. Grunting, I pulled myself into the room. I turned and sat at the doorway, looking down at the brain bot rolling in circles directly below, as if trying to figure out how to get me. Then, with a strong kick of my forehooves, I knocked the last piece of the catwalk loose. It fell, scraping down the wall, until it smashed through the robot's brain case, pulping the organ inside and continuing down, ripping the machine roughly in half. I must admit that I found the crunch immensely satisfying. I realised that if the room I had successfully accessed at such great personal risk had not offered another way out, I would have been in deep trouble. Closing the door behind me, I felt immediately more comfortable. The room had been painted over in what had once been a bright orange, and the paint had not at all lost its warmth over time. The wood panelling was probably brought a pleasant, homey feel to what I believed was clearly the factory overmare's office. Now that the wood was rotted and crumbling, on the back wall above the desk was an oversized logo in deeply tarnished bronze. Iron-shod firearms. How do you like them apples? I didn't get it. Ignoring it, I looked around. Large, fancy desk. Chair. Filing cabinets. A poster in a backlit frame. The same poster I had seen several other times in the factory but this one in far better condition, showing a graceful Pegasus ponies soaring through the sky, rainbows exploding behind her as she shot down upon the dark, demonic-striped figures with evil, glowing eyes. Better wiped than striped. Join the equestrian forces today. A wardrobe. My eyes barely touched these, moving to the important things first. The office held a terminal I could hack, a wall safe I could pick, and a personal elevator that, if it worked, would get me safely to the first floor and out of this death trap. There was an ammo box under the desk. Then my eyes fell upon something unique. Mounted on the opposite wall was a glass case, and in that case was a beautiful and perfectly preserved revolver. A similar model to mine, but crafted with what must have approached love. It had a scope and an ivory bit moulded for extra comfortable fit in the mouth and ease of trigger. 
on the handle was an emblem. Three apples. I tried my hoof, so to speak, at the safe first. It was tough, taking a few attempts, but after breaking one bobby pin, I learned how to better prevent further losses. The safe opened with a generous click. The impressive amount of objects made me wonder if my excursion into iron-shod firearms hadn't been worthwhile after all. I started sorting the treasure from the rubbish. Inside was a sack full of pre-war coins, a copy of Equestrian Army Today, a whole bunch of finance papers that ceased to mean anything a hundred years ago, and a box of what looked like bubblegum. I couldn't decipher the writing on it. A Sparko Magic Battery... And finally, an odd hoof-strapped Arcano tech device that looked like it was meant to interface with my pit-buck. Curious, I slid it on and let my pit-buck analyse it. Stealth-buck. Invisibility spell. One charge. Hot damn! Next was the terminal. Pulling out my utility suit, I slid my access tool and started to work. This terminal was tougher to crack than the previous ones, even with my tools. I had to abort several times to avoid getting locked out. I pulled another apple from my bag and bit into it, intent on the screen, only to hit something painfully hard. Levitating the apple up to eye level, I saw a bullet embedded in it. Looking down at my saddlebags, there was indeed a small hole, although it took me a few minutes to remember when that had happened. Once again, I discovered a whole mess of notes and messages. In addition... The terminal had a shutdown key for all the robotic security, and it could remotely open both the safe and the display case. I rolled my eyes, thanking the universe ever so much for giving me this potentially life-saving option, only now that I'd already fought my way to the finish and no longer needed it. I also realised that I could have saved myself a bobby pin if I'd worked on the computer first. I told the terminal to open the display case. Doing so triggered a message. Cousin Braber. I know we ain't carting ton time, but the war effort's taken a twist for the scary, and I might not have a chance to see you again. I want to mend fences. Now, I ain't gonna muck this up with words. We all know how well that went last time. Instead, I'm sending you a little Macintosh as a gift and as an apology, to show you I'm sincere. Keep him safe for me, will ya? The accent was very much like that of the voice I found on Velvet Remedy's Pitbuck although this time it was clearly not from the same pony. But it was the earnest tone of the recording that gave me pause. Two hundred years ago, some pony had given this gun as a token of apology and as an effort to reconnect with family. And that some pony's cousin had done just as she asked, preserving the weapon for generations after his own death. I wasn't going to leave it there, untouched by any pony until the building collapsed upon it. But when I took it, I removed it respectfully. All that was left was going through the rest of the office. The ammo box held bullets for Little Macintosh, and not a shy amount. In the wardrobe, I found some old maintenance suit that I could use to repair the holes in my own utility barding, and some other garments that I left behind. Eventually, I turned to the elevator and pushed the button. Nothing. Of course it didn't work. The wasteland just couldn't give me a break. Pulling out my tools, I opened up the side panel and tried to figure out what was wrong and if I could fix it from here. To my great relief, I could. The elevator proved to be in impressive condition, particularly considering the rest of the building, but the battery for the interface was dead. As Celestia's mercy would have it, there had been a replacement in the safe. 
One swapping of batteries later, I was on my way. As the door slid shut, the thought crossed my mind. Macintosh. Wasn't that? I trotted between the collapsed buildings that littered the area around iron-shod firearms, not having any particular direction to go. Aimless. I hadn't found any signs of civilization. Civilised civilization, mind you. I had kind of given up on finding Velvet Remedy. For now, I was satisfying myself with random exploration, although that had just proven exceptionally dangerous. In Stable 2, I knew exactly what my future would be, as unbearably dull as it would have been. Out here, in the huge open outside, I was struggling with just the opposite. I never considered that having an assigned place might be as much as a relief as it was a burden. My ears picked up the sound of overwrought, triumphant music. I watched as a sprite bot fluttered down a cross street. Running up to it, I drew myself in front of it. Watcher? It just floated by. I dashed in front of it again. Hello? The music just kept playing. I waved a hoof right in front of its slack of face. It danced around me and kept going. Well, that was helpful. I picked a random direction and started trotting again. I thought of Watcher's advice. Armour? Check. Weapon? Double check. Guidance? I looked back at the iron shop building. A bit iffy. But check. Friends? It, it's kind of hard to make friends when there doesn't seem to be any pony around. My exasperated voice started to echo off the crumbling walls of concrete. If this was a quest, it was a lame one. I seriously needed to find something to do, preferably other than dodge and duck. In Stable 2, I felt painfully ordinary. I yearned to be special. Now I yearned to be anything. My downcast eyes chanced upon a red scooter amidst the ruins. Reaching out a hoof, I flipped it back onto its wheels and prodded it back and forth a few times. Three of the wheels were locked with rust, but to my surprise, one still turned. Looking up, I found myself at the edge of a playground. The swings and slide jutted into the oddly coloured air, blackened by ancient spellfire, like bones of a great dead beast. The merry-go-round was warped and canted. The skeleton of a baby pony was still curled at one end. Sadness and immense shame flooded me. I had been feeling sorry for myself in the midst of all of this. Another tiny skeleton lay against the burnt husk of a tree three roller skates in the dirt near its hooves. The fourth? I doubted anyone would ever know. I plodded on, moving through the silent, impromptu graveyard. At the far end, sheltered by walls that were mostly still intact, I found an old vending machine. Sparkle Cola! The machine still advertised through years of grime. It featured a backlit emblem of stylized carrots. Surprisingly, the machine still looked functional. Fishing out a few pre-war coins, I fed them into the machine. I didn't actually expect that it would still have soda after all these years. I was astonished when the bottle rolled out dutifully. I suddenly realised how thoughtfully thirsty I was. The sparkle cola was lukewarm, but actually rather delicious, with a delightfully carroty aftertaste. The clicking of my pip-buck warned me that I was ingesting trace amounts of radiation with each swallow, but not enough to be harmful. I'd taken more harm standing around at Sweet Apple Acres. And besides, if it reached a point where my radiation intake began to make me stick, I had a couple of Radaway potions. 
the only supplies from the iron medical box that I hadn't needed to use just to survive the building. I spotted a bench just around the side of the building and decided to take a load off my legs. Possibly read some of the Equestrian Army Today book I had just picked up. As I turned the corner, my gaze fell upon an old, torn poster affixed to the wall. The image was on the face of an elderly pony, almost obtrusively pink coloration. Her mane was streaked with grey. On some ponies, grey hair makes them look distinguished. On most, it just makes them look old. Hers made her look like a candy cane. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Her eyes were huge, staring. I could swear, poster or not, that she was looking right at me. Some pony had ripped the poster right through the middle. I had no idea what her expression was supposed to be, but I couldn't help feel like I was doing something wrong. Bold worlds above, below the image, now deeply faded, announced, Pinkie Pie is watching you forever! There were additional words, very tiny beneath, so small and faded that I had to lean close and strain to read them. A happy reminder from the Ministry of Morale. I stepped back, tilting my head as I looked at the poster again. What's the Ministry of Morale? Watcher's voice erupted from over my shoulder making me jump high enough for my horn whacked the ceiling. Another well-meaning idea that was so much better on scroll. I gasped, willing my heart to beat regularly again, and felt a fleeting empathy with Sword Off. The sprite bot was hovering right next to me. Celestia, those things were silent when they weren't playing music. Are you trying to give me a heart attack? Oh, sorry. I gave the flying orb a glare. I forgot about the bench and started walking trying to enjoy the rest of my sparkle cola. The sprite bot followed. I see you've got some armour. The mechanical voice seemed hesitant. I didn't ask why. Watcher either didn't care to explain or thought better of it. Maybe the fact that I was walking through the equestrian wasteland in an outfit coated inside and out with drying blood gave it pause. I could probably go up to any stable pony and go, I am an evil, bad, nightmare pony. Rawr! And, even despite my size, they would probably take one look at me and flee. 
I sipped my sparkle cola and wished desperately for somewhere decent to bathe. The problem was, any water clean and radiation-free enough to take a bath in would be far too precious to pollute. One of my canteens was empty, and the second nearly so. Maybe the reason you're having trouble finding your place is that you haven't discovered your virtue yet. Watch offered out of thin air. I stopped. What? How did you... Um, uh, never mind. Then, what do you mean, my virtue? Well, the flying ball began. The greatest heroes of Equestria, ponies with lifelong bonds of unbreakable friendship and strength, were each known for exemplifying one of the great virtues of pony kind. Kindness, honesty, laughter. Laughter is a virtue? I asked, dubiously. Roll with me on this. The sprite bot continued without breaking stride. Generosity, loyalty, and magic. They really didn't know themselves, or each other, until one pony came to realise that her friends represented these virtues, and together they grew to live by them. Now, I'm not saying they're only virtues. They're just, uh... Now the bot paused as if searching for words. Perpetually important set. And I'm just saying that perhaps if you learn to recognise the dominant virtue in your own heart, you will find yourself. And you won't need anyone else, or anywhere, anything else, to tell your place in the... Watcher's voice cut out with an abrupt pop, and music once again poured from the bot. Brilliant. I watched as the sprite bot slowly sailed away. Well, if that wasn't a load of pony pies. I didn't know what was. Finishing my soda... I tossed the empty bottle amidst a pile of others. Empty bottles littered the equestrian wasteland like weeds. A new thought was occurring to me. About Watcher. The Wasteland Survival Guide had to be written after the Megaspells rained down. Long after. Considering its sound advice on scavenging. So that book wouldn't have been in the Ponyville Library as part of the original, pre-war library. It found its way there later. From the lack of being burned, defaced, or covered in blood... I was guessing recently, which made me wonder. Did Watcher know about those poor ponies and the raiders held captive? And if so, is that why I was talked into going there? Was I manipulated into walking into that horror because Watcher hoped I could free them? I couldn't be sure, and considering that Watcher saved me, I should give the benefit of the doubt. But I couldn't help the niggling sense that Watcher had played me, and I don't like being tricked. My ears perked as the music stopped again, replaced by a voice, but this wasn't Watcher's voice. This was some pony else. This voice wasn't metallic, it was the voice of a smooth male pony with greasy charisma. Friends, ponies, rejoice. Although the world about you is bleak, scarred, and poisoned by the war of Odalus, Thoughtless, inferior ponies of the past. We do not have to live in the shadow of their greed and wickedness. Together, we can raise Equestria back to its former beauty. Together, we can build a new kingdom where all live together in perfect unity. It's already happening, my good ponies. Already the foundation for a new and wonderful age is being built. Yes, it's hard work. But don't we owe it to ourselves and to future generations of ponies to be better?
No, to be the best we can possibly breed. I'm telling you now, as your friend, as your leader, that we can, we must, and we will. What in a fever dream was that? The music had resumed, not popping back in the middle of a song like when Watcher sees control of a sprite bot, but at the beginning of a new song. Like, this was how the bot was supposed to work. Wait, the ponies have a leader now? That was serious news to me. As far as I could see, we didn't even have a country. Hell, I'd settle for a town. Even just a few shacks built within vague proximity of each other. So long as they had ponies living there in peace. Or as close to peace as the wasteland allowed. If we had a leader, we had to have at least one town, right? Trotting faster now, I found room with enough intact stairs for me to get up to see what was along the second floor. I brought out the binoculars and looked out. Sure enough, in the distance, I saw smoke. Enough plumes, close enough together to suggest some sort of settlement. I prayed to Celestia that the smoke was from cooking fires, not raiders burning it to the ground. There was a path leading out towards the settlement. That would keep me from losing my way. And there was movement on that path. My horn glowed as I focused the binoculars, bringing up a small group of ponies into view. Two of them were pulling a heavily laden wagon. A young pony rode on its back, apparently talking with two others who were guiding equally burdened two-headed beasts. The group was headed towards me, away from the theoretical town, but they didn't look like they were fleeing, and none of them were wounded, all of which I took for a good sign. A very good sign indeed. I looked up into the thick, broiling clouds, up to where the disk of the sun made a brighter spot in the cloudy ceiling, and sent a pair of thanks to Celestia. The path wasn't a road, exactly. Rather, it was a long, arcing swathe cut through the equestrian wasteland. Two parallel metal lines reinforced with badly aged crossed planks of wood, half an hour back. It had crossed over a gully on a rickety bridge. After my fun with catwalks, I chose to brave the gully rather than put my hooves on something else that was surely holding off its inevitable collapse until it could take me with it. It turned out to be a good decision. Despite the wounds, the gully had been home to a bunch of large, bloated pig things with extremely nasty front teeth. One of them had got a hold of my hind leg, biting clean through my armour and cutting a deep gash. Little Macintosh is neither quiet nor subtle. A single shot from that sweet little gun tore the head clean off the pig thing attacking me. I fired quickly enough that I was able to slay three others before my targeting spell ran out. Beneath the bridge was some pony's camp. It had a long abandoned feel to it. But there were scattered supplies, including a few cases of shotgun ammo, a single can of food amidst a litter of tin cans. Magical fruit, the label boasted, but it turned out to just be beans. A locked medical box. I picked the lock easily, finding a healing potion which I swiftly drank, feeling a sigh of relief as the nasty gash mended gently, the pain ebbing away. There were magical bandages, nowhere near as powerful as a potion, but good enough for flesh wounds. And a box of... mints? Mintals. Refresh your mind and your breath. I'd been surprised to see a smiling zebra on the front of the box, the first depiction of a zebra I'd seen that didn't look like a storybook villain. Now I figured I was over halfway to the settlement. Maybe two-thirds? I tried to keep myself from imagining what I would find. 
A whole city of civilised and happy ponies, maybe. I didn't want to set myself up for a letdown. Even a few shacks, I told myself. I picked up the pace of my trot. I heard a gunshot in the same instant that I felt a bullet tear clean through my right hind leg and another clang off the metal casing of the sniper rifle strapped around my back. I screamed in agony, collapsing to a skidding halt on the rocky ground. Clutching at my hind leg, I was bleeding profusely through the hole torn through it. The bullet missed the bone, and I could tell that sickeningly because I could see it. I tossed my head back and screamed again. Desperately, I dragged myself around a large mound of rocks, trying to take shelter from the shooter I never saw. Focusing as much as I could through the terrible pain, I pulled the magic-laced medical bandages from my pack. I tried wrapping my bleeding hind leg, but the bandages were meant for cuts and gashes, not gaping holes. It was soaked with blood and sliding off almost before I had finished wrapping it. I tossed the bandage and tried again, this time pulling the bandage much tighter. It too soaked bright red, but at least it stayed. Shaking with fear and pain, knowing from the sudden chills that my body was going into shock, I looked up and tried to spy the pony who had attacked me. I looked all round, but no one was there, and there wasn't a whole lot of cover to be hiding in. These hills of dirt and rock were mostly barren. I felt like my heart had swallowed an ice cube when the image hit me that there was a pony out there with a stealth buck. She could be right next to me, pointing a gun at my head. I wouldn't even know. But then I looked upwards, and there in the sky was a rust-coated Pegasus pony, with an orange mane under a black desperado hat, and what looked like two rifles, one strapped beneath each wing. The pony had just finished circling back around and was aiming right at me. With panicked instinct, I levitated a large rock in front of my face as a shield. A crack rang in the air. Two rifles filed simultaneously. The first bullet struck the rock, sending chips of stone flying, and ricocheted, lodging in my canteen. The last of my water burbled out at my hooves. The second punched through my armour and embedded itself in my left shoulder, sending me reeling. Again, I collapsed, the pain peaking and then beginning to bleed off, which I knew wasn't a good sign. This time, I didn't think I would be getting back up again. So, this is what I was like to die. So overrated. My eyes felt heavy. I closed them... I don't think for long, but when I opened them again, I spotted the ponies drawing their wagon, coming over the hill. Behind them would be more ponies. Guiding pack. Two-headed cattle things. I remembered the young pony on the back of the wagon. I doubted any of them would be looking up. Forcing myself to my hooves, I began dragging myself into the open. If I was going to die, it wasn't going to be laying down. Watching these people get slaughtered. My body screamed agony into my head, but I kept going, marching myself on lame legs until I was standing in the path right in front of the approaching group. Turning and focusing through the hammering in my head, I lifted little Macintosh into the air and pointed it at the rust-coloured Pegasus, who had whipped back around and was again flying right at me. I stood directly between him and the travellers. My vision was blurry from tears and trauma. I wasn't sure, even with sats, that I could hit him and I stood no chance against his aim. He was an amazing shot. Technically, he hadn't missed me yet. Putting every ounce of me into it, I growled as menacingly as I could, 
and hoped that a pony who had survived four shots would be mistaken for a pony to be reckoned with. Shoot me all you want, but if you attack that family, I will end you. To my surprise, the Pegasus's eyes widened, and instead of firing, he backflapped his wings, coming to a halt in front of me. Whoa, Nelly! Levitating little Macintosh was getting really hard. I'd lost all feeling in my shot leg and fell onto my haunches without realising. I ain't the one attacking that caravan. You are. What? Black was seeping into my vision from all sides. My head was spinning. The conversation wasn't making any sense, but at least he was conversing rather than killing me. Weakly. Not attacking. You shot me. Well, of course I shot you. I see a raider heading to the caravan. I'm going to perforate her shall she not move in no more. The rust-coloured pony glared at me, with a strangely proud look. It's my policy. I felt my forelegs beginning to give. I was near collapse, but the words of the pony caused a fire to flash in between my head. Little Macintosh had begun to sink towards the ground, but now it swung back up, pointed right between my attacker's eyes. I'm not a raider! <laughs> the pony pointed at me argumentatively. You shall look like a raider! Seemingly out of nowhere, the colt from the wagon galloped into view. I tried to raise my voice in warning, but nothing came out. The blackness fighting to overtake my vision finally won, and I collapsed, sinking into what felt like a deep sleep. The last thing I heard was the colt whinnying. Calamity! What have you done? Footnote. Level up. New perk. Egghead. You will add plus two skill points each time you gain a new experience level. Send the whiskey 